the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Well, good morning, friends. We are in week two of our new sermon series called On the Road with Jesus. And we're spending this time camped out in the Gospel of Mark. And Mark's Gospel is action-packed. He focuses mostly on what Jesus does more than what Jesus says. And it's almost comical how often you'll see Mark use the phrases suddenly and immediately and at once to show Jesus just constantly on the move with his disciples. But this is still Jesus. So he's never anything but purpose-driven and intentional. Yes, he's always on the move, but it's never rushed, haphazard, or impersonal. Jesus is going to use every step and stop along their journey to teach the disciples, to show them by example what is important to God's heart and what it looks like to be in relationship with the Father. And if you've been around church for a while, you may have heard someone use the phrase that as followers of Jesus today, we're to be covered in the dust of our rabbi, Jesus. What does that mean? Well, when Jesus took this long, winding road trip with his disciples, they were supposed to walk so closely behind him that the dust his feet kicked up from the road would get all over their clothes. Our goal is to follow in Jesus' footsteps so closely that our actions, words, and character begin to look like his. But before we join Jesus and his disciples on their road trip, let's pray, inviting God to teach us and shape us this morning. God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts bring glory to you. Speak, Lord. We are your servants and we are listening We want to be more like you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. So can you imagine what it would be like to be woken up by a bucket of cold water being dumped on you? I hope that's never happened to you. But Mark's gospel begins a little bit like that, abrupt and very surprising. The people of Israel were waiting for morning to arrive, but they didn't expect it to look and feel like it did. Mark portrays Jesus almost bursting onto the scene of the Jewish world in all his unconventional glory. Last week, we looked at the calling of Jesus' first disciples. And Pastor Ben talked about how in ancient Jewish eyes, these guys were far from qualified to be Jesus' disciples. But he chose them because of the unique purpose each of them had. So once the gang is all here, Jesus immediately launches into describing Jesus' ministry. And apparently it's thriving right off the bat. Jesus frees a whole bunch of people by casting out evil spirits which had taken over every part of their lives. And he heals even more people who are gravely ill, including his disciple Peter's mother-in-law. Word is spreading like wildfire. Amazed crowds are gathering. In fact, Mark says that the whole village of Capernaum gathers in the door of Peter's family house to see Jesus do his thing. 
<laughs> the whole village. Wouldn't we love to have the whole town of Berlin on our church doorstep, curious to see and hear more of Jesus? Absolutely. This looks like the very definition of ministry success, right? It looks like they have arrived, right? Right. This is exactly why the disciples are so confused by what Jesus says and does next. Our passage this morning is Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. And Mark tells us, early in the morning, well before sunrise, Jesus rose and went to a deserted place where he could be alone in prayer. Simon and those with him tracked him down, and when they found him, they told him, everyone's looking for you. He replied, let's head in the other direction, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there too. That's why I've come. He traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and throwing out demons. So after a big day, intense excitement, with the news of God's kingdom going public with a bang, Jesus knew he needed to prioritize a God-given sense of direction for what would come next. So he pulls away from the big event to pray by himself. And we get the sense that it's not a quick retreat, a moment or an aside, uh, because his absence is noticeable and apparently quite inconvenient to the disciples. Mark says that they track him down, hunt him down, pursue him, all verbs suggesting some anxiety and more than a little bit of impatience on their part. Because they want to build on. They want to capitalize on the excitement of the day before. The model is working, so obviously they should do it again. And we hear their unmet expectations in their comment to Jesus. Everyone is looking for you. The silent question hanging there being, what are you doing out here then? What are you doing and why are you doing it now in this pivotal moment? Have you ever noticed that sometimes we separate the people who get things done and the people who pray in two different groups? The disciples did that. They didn't understand why Jesus wasn't doing something at that moment. And Jesus' response is counterintuitive to them also. He actually doesn't even respond to their comment about the large expectant crowd waiting for him. He simply restates his mission. Let's go somewhere else to the other nearby villages so that I can preach there also because that is why I've come. Jesus shows them he is on God's timetable, that what he does is decided not by the desire of the crowd, but by the kingdom of God. Jesus' popularity in this region is growing, but while growing popularity did mean that the word about Jesus was spreading, popularity was not the goal in itself. Jesus knew he had a much bigger purpose. He knew that he was the one the prophet Isaiah spoke of when he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. 
Jesus knew, as John 3, 17 says, that he was sent so that the whole world might be saved through him. Jesus knew that his purpose was to preach the good news so that the kingdom of God could grow not only in numbers, but in reach. So staying in one village, in one place, despite the crowd he had attracted there, did not help him achieve that purpose. His purpose was this big and captivating mission, and it kept him moving down the road. Though I can imagine that it was tempting for Jesus to stay instead of move on. Because where he was probably seemed like a sure thing, a much safer bet. There were no guarantees that his reception in the next village would be as warm and as exciting as this one. In fact, we know that it often wasn't quite the opposite. But Jesus seemed to have this rhythm of prayer that kept him laser-focused on his purpose. In Mark, Jesus goes alone to pray three distinct times. In this passage, Mark chapter 1, before walking on water in Mark chapter 6, and in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark chapter 14. Each of these moments of high demand, uh, intense circumstances, and great expectation in Jesus' ministry. And by choosing to pray before each of these big moments and turning points, Jesus teaches his disciples and us that the source of our action is our vision. And the source of our vision is our creator king himself. The closer that we press into relationship with God, the clearer our vision, our why, becomes. And the why ultimately decides what we do and how we do it. Now, in each instance of Jesus praying, Mark also includes some kind of failure or a moment of falling short of their potential by the disciples. In Mark chapter 6, they're terrified of the storm that Jesus calms. In Mark 14, while Jesus is fervently praying in the garden, they fall asleep. And here in Mark chapter 1, they settle. They settle for a lesser vision. Jesus has called them to follow, which means increasingly adjusting their thoughts and intentions to match and align with Jesus' kingdom purpose. But they're not there yet. They're not yet on the same page. To use this road trip imagery, the disciples think they're going to the town pool, and Jesus wants to take them to Niagara Falls. They cannot yet imagine big enough to grasp Jesus' definition of success. Jesus, who is continually moving towards those people who made the disciples uncomfortable, those they disagreed with, those who they were taught to avoid, the poor, the sick, the Samaritan, the Gentile, and so many more. Jesus is working towards a kingdom that is continually expanding to welcome more and more different types of people. And the disciples have not yet caught that vision. They don't yet share Jesus' why. So they settle for what they can see, hear, touch, and quantify. A big crowd at a big event. 
Writer C.S. Lewis actually described the same thing in us. He said, we're like a child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. So after building Disneyland in California, Walt Disney purchased land in Florida, but not to build a theme park, but to build a fully functional city of the future. He called it Epcot, or Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. He imagined an actual city that would always be in a state of becoming, a living blueprint of the future. But after Walt Disney's unexpected death, his company executives didn't know what to do with the Epcot land. Having failed to catch Disney's vision for it, they said that they would reconsider Epcot from an operational, technological perspective, evaluating its market potential. Rather than imagine, they settled for what they knew would get them at least some measure of success, another theme park. Today, the giant golf ball is one of the least popular amusement parks in the Disneyverse. In his book, The Divine Commodity, author and pastor Sky Jathani says that, like Jesus' disciples, we want to obey Christ, but often lack his imagination. So we reinterpret the mission through the only framework comprehensible to us, the one we've inherited from our consumer culture. Like Jesus' disciples, we are likely to evaluate success based on popularity, financial or attendance numbers, and our own likes and dislikes. And when we achieve success as defined by any of these factors, it is most comfortable and natural to settle in and make the most of it while we can, rather than continue to press forwards towards the new and maybe uncertain thing. We fail to be captivated by the why and instead become bound to what's and how's. And oh, how much we miss when we allow our imaginations to go to sleep. Because as the people of God, we have inherited a beautiful vision. And it's not new. It goes all the way back to God's promise to Abraham. You have been blessed so that you might be a blessing to the whole world. God sparks Abraham's imagination by inviting him to look up at the sky and imagine as many descendants as stars in the galaxy. And Jesus painted an even greater picture of the vision in the Great Commission that Steph and Wyatt read for us earlier. I love the way that the Great Commission reads from this particular translation. It's the First Nations version translated by and for our indigenous brothers in Christ in North America. And in this translation, Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, so now I am sending you into all nations to teach them how to walk the road with me. You will represent me as you baptize them inviting them into the life of beauty and harmony represented in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You will then teach them all the ways that I have instructed you to walk in. 
and never forget, I will always be with you, walking beside you until the new age has fully come. Teach them how to walk the road with me, inviting them into the life of beauty and harmony. Isn't it incredible to imagine that being true of more and more people? The vision is that everyone, every tribe, language, culture, and nation will sit together at the table in the kingdom of God, praising the name of Jesus, the Savior who literally moved heaven and earth to have a personal relationship with each and every one of us. Imagine if. Imagine if the body of Christ around the world was united in relentlessly pursuing that vision. Imagine if all of us, every disciple of Jesus, followed Jesus' example in showing and sharing the good news of God's love to the next person, the next neighborhood, the next town, and the next nation. Imagine what would look different in our world. Imagine the incredible mosaic of people that would be brought together as a blessing to the whole world, an incredible witness to the goodness and glory of our God. Y'all, that's big. That should blow our minds. And I know I'm the one up here getting all fired up, but all of our minds, all of our imaginations should be sparked. That's a vision that should keep all of us always moving forward towards new what's and how's for a why that never changes. Our creator God is the source of the vision of this kingdom. He wants it to captivate our imaginations so that we'll work with him in creatively bringing that vision to life here in our midst now. In this short road trip moment with his disciples, Jesus showed them and us how we can be people driven forward by the vision. Each time Jesus faced moments of decision in his ministry, he stepped back from the excitement to pray because these times of communion with God refreshed his imagination with the vision of the kingdom. Connecting with the source of the vision focused his priorities, and oriented his next steps, moving him beyond just what could be seen, counted, or understood in front of him. And the more time we spend in relationship with God, inviting him to shape our imaginations, the bigger our vision, the more beautiful our dreams, and the more purpose-driven our goals become. Our imaginations begin to catch the vision of the kingdom when we can begin to grow our awareness of God already at work in this world around us. The pastor I used to work with in Massachusetts each Sunday would ask the congregation to share, where have you seen God at work this week? And every Sunday, without fail, crickets, silence. No one knew what to say. Because in fairness, it's not always an easy question to answer. Noticing God's presence in the kingdom of God already at work in our midst is a skill that we practice or a muscle that we train. Sky Jathani writes that a large part of Christian discipleship is learning to see the world as it truly is. 
saturated with the love and presence of God. So friends, where have you seen or experienced God's presence in your life this week? Maybe you felt God's presence guiding your words in a tough conversation with someone. Maybe you felt the comfort of his presence as you or someone you love was hurting. Maybe you felt the joy of God's presence while doing an activity that you love. Maybe you saw the presence of God faithfully bringing light in a dark moment or hope in a challenging situation in our world. The more that we practice seeking God's presence around us, the more our God awareness grows, the more our spidey senses tingle. As our God awareness grows, our imaginations for what could be, for the vision of the kingdom of God, are sparked. Now for kids, imagination comes supernaturally. We all remember those days quite fondly, I'm sure. For adults, however, this spontaneous uh, use of our imagination and creativity, it's kind of conditioned out of us in our more task-oriented culture. As adults, our imaginations get bound up in things like shoulds and can'ts and always and what's and how's. So, this week's Try This Activity is to practice letting our imaginations flow. I invite you to sit down with a blank piece of paper and something to draw with and just start drawing. And I say this with all the humility of someone who can barely draw a stick figure and who really likes to have a plan. But try not to think too hard. Try to just start and enjoy the process of being creative and appreciate how your drawing naturally evolves. And then there are some reflection questions that I really encourage you to use to follow up to invite God to reshape your, your imagination with his vision for you and for this world. And if you're joining us online, you can find those questions on the services page of our website. This road trip moment in Mark indicates that Jesus is always walking just ahead of his disciples. And the journey of faith is always like that. It's not always easy or comfortable or secure, but the vision of the kingdom is always before us, calling us onward. With the community of his people around us, let us follow in Jesus' footsteps. Let's pray. God, we are amazed by the good news of your love for us and for this whole world. Open our eyes to notice the small ways in which your kingdom is taking root around us. Challenge our worldly values about what success means. Reveal to us where we are stuck. Push us out of our comfort zones so that we can notice what you're doing and join in. May our imaginations be captivated by your life and character and the vision of your kingdom to come. Amen.